For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Charlie Titchener, and we're going to explore a really fascinating Facebook ads strategy that's going to blow your mind. If you have found Facebook ads to be exceptionally complex or you just haven't gotten results, The strategy that we're going to talk about today is really contrarian to what a lot of people are teaching. And this guy has an incredible track record with it. And I think you're absolutely going to love it. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. Are you new to this podcast? Then be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Charlie Titchener. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Charlie Titchener. If you don't know who Charlie is, you need to know Charlie. He's a Facebook ad strategist. His YouTube channel is called Facebook Disruptor. And his Facebook ads MBA program is designed to help entrepreneurs and marketers optimize and scale their ads. Charlie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's a beautiful morning, and I think it's funny. You said it was 60-some-odd degrees in Nashville, and you had to turn on the air conditioning. <laughs> it is two degrees warmer here, and I had to turn on the heat. So it's a beautiful world. Awesome. Well, I know we're going to have a fun conversation today, folks. Charlie and I are going to explore Facebook ad strategy that you can use to scale your business. And Charlie has a really unique perspective. And before we go into the strategy, I want to hear your story, man. How did you get into Facebook ads? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the best places to start is sort of at the beginning. You know, I used to be a touring musician and radio personality. And eventually that career kind of ended. I was the afternoon drive guy on a radio network for Sirius XM called Bubba the Love Sponge. And there was this Hulk Hogan. Wait, Bubba the Love Sponge? Yeah. And then there was this Hulk Hogan sex tape that went to Gawker. It was an $800 million lawsuit. Long story short, I kind of moved 2,500 miles from Central Florida to L.A. A couple months, I got a job doing data entry at a social media advertising agency. But what year was this? Just to give some perspective. This was 2012. Okay, cool. And... Within about a month, I figured out how to more or less automate most of my work. So I was doing about eight people's jobs. Then the number one client fired the agency and it was sort of a last hired, first fired situation. So I took some clients with me. I built my own organic agency. My partner then, we went on to uh, this AMC show called The Pitch. We actually won the business of 1-800-Flowers. Very last episode of The Pitch, they put me on TV and then canceled the show. Wait, real quick, for those that don't know what that is, what is that? Explain that real quickly. So for two years, paired with Mad Men, 
there was a reality show where two ad agencies would compete to be the agency of record ah. for a major business. Okay. So my partner, Ben Tiernan, great guy. He had an agency and I basically rented a room from him and we were on the show. He was the face of it. But if you look through the episode, you'll see little snippets of you know me in the background. Um, and we won. We beat another agency to be the AOR of uh, 1-800-Flowers to do this crazy thing called using social media to promote a business, <laughs> which at the time was crazy. It was spend $100,000, but you cannot run any television, search, email, radio. Like you had to use only social media. And our breakthrough idea was basically the concept of social gifting. Okay. And as a result of that, for about six months or a year, Facebook had this button where you could send somebody like a Starbucks gift card or like flowers. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was a ramification of us winning the show. That was sort of the idea was that you could get this $5 smiley face cookie and then you could send it to somebody. And so the $100,000 was 20,000 of these cookies. And we built a Facebook group and a page and a community around that. And this is again, like, 2013 that we were doing 2012 that we were doing all this stuff all organic all organic yeah so anyway we won that and my investor that was working with me basically took the company uh he was also an attorney i thought it was great to have a shark on your side well as soon as that 100 flowers check cleared i was no longer employed at my own business so i started another social media agency did pretty well and then my biggest client fired me because he put some money into facebook ads and we're still friends to this day, but he said, hey, look, man, you know, I pay you 2000 a month. I put a hundred bucks in the Facebook ads. I saw better results. So he paid out his contract. I licked my wounds. The next day I put my credit card into Facebook, started to promote my band. And within three months, I was running Jamba Juice. Within six months, I was doing like Robert Rodriguez movies and like Danny Trejo stuff and Jay and Silent Bob. Paid acquisition. You're using ads yeah. at this point, right? Okay. Paid acquisition for selling tickets and promoting Jamba Juice and was more about brand awareness and market research. And then we got to movies. It was about, at that time, it was using Facebook offer ads, which nobody uses anymore, but to sell tickets to Comic-Con and other speaking events. And within nine months, I was supervisor at Omnicom, managing the CBS, Nissan, and Henkel team, working with Levi's and Activision, spending over a million dollars a day. And that was 2013, 2014. And basically, by 2017, 2018, I had spent well over a quarter billion dollars. And uh, I had done the agency thing. I had been in-house. I had done consulting and other stuff. And then uh, at that point, I went to D2C smaller business growing them. And since then, I'm now on my fourth business that I've taken from, from high seven, low eight figures to a nine figure run right in the last five years. This last business being under outfit. You know, last January, we did 200,000 in revenue. First week of January, 2023, we did over a million. And again, this is the fourth time I've taken a business more or less from a couple grand a day on Facebook to well over a million a month. And um, that's, that's the the long story short with a little bit of a hook at the beginning of the, the sex tape ruined my radio career. No, I, I love this. I love this. So bring us up to the present. Like, what are you doing today? Tell us a little bit about your MBA thing and all the other stuff you got going on. Yeah. So what I'm really working on now is I'm trying to educate and to lift others up. Part of that journey was also as a musician and radio personality, I had a big drug problem and I ultimately got sober. I've got about 10 years. I've got a little over 10 years clean now. Congratulations. And Thank you. One of the things that's important in 
staying healthy is working on your self-esteem and making sure that you give back. And so I try to focus on how do I feel good when I put my head on the pillow at night? And I realized a while ago that the number one thing that I felt like I could do was take the, you know, I've probably made a couple hundred million dollars of mistakes. And I've been a beta tester and more or less test pilot for Facebook with the engineering team building products like lead gen and DPA and everything since 2013, 2014, when we launched the first lead gen ads that Facebook had. And I realized that there's a lot of folks struggling. And one of the biggest ways I can give back is by helping people see more success and less stress in their business and ultimately to create jobs and confidence. And that's a way that I can work directly to bring more joy as a way to sort of make amends for all the harm that I've done. And with that, I've built Disruptor School and more, more importantly, the Facebook Ads MBA program, which is sort of a CMO development program and more or less a masterclass on how to run Facebook ads and how to amplify businesses with growth and acquisition marketing. The lessons I've learned working for eight and nine figure businesses and you know driving over a billion dollars in revenue over the last decade. I love this. You've also got a YouTube channel with a lot of great stuff on it, right? Yeah. Some people would say I put out too much content, but uh, yeah, the YouTube channel is great. It's a uh, Facebook disruptor. Uh, my handle on there is Professor Charlie. You can get it at, at CT, the disruptor and the little thing right there. That's my handle on it, on all the socials. But yeah. There is an uncountable number of hours of content on there that uh, I hope inspires thought and provides hope. And that, that's really what it's all about. Very cool. Love the mission. So, Charlie, first of all, thank you for sharing your background. I think it provides a lot of context. You've been in this space for a while and you've got a really fascinating story and journey. There are some marketers right now who are, maybe they used to be into Facebook ads and they've since decided they're just going to go all organic because of these economic times we're in and they don't have the money. There's also marketers who have been just ignoring ads in general, right? And what do you want to say as to why Facebook ads in 2023, when we're recording this, what's the benefit? What's the upside that maybe they don't see, but that you see? Well, I think the number one benefit to Facebook ads is that ultimately, from my perspective, there is no greater force multiplier to the amplification of a business model. You can run search and that's great. You can maybe be better at keyword marketing than other folks and with intent that has been created, you can monetize it better than somebody else. If you have an audience and you can you know, speak socially or with email and CRMs, you can really capitalize that intent. But Facebook, more than any other social channel, allows you to strategically do what TV promised to do 50 years ago. You can have an extraordinarily, you can create intent with an extraordinarily strategic and tactical plan in a way that allows you to acquire attention and then monetize that. And I think that there is no other channel that is as smart, as stable, as projectable, and that has the same scale that Facebook does. And we've seen plenty of other channels come, Snapchat and TikTok and all the other places, but at best, most of them have effectively become a feature of what Facebook does, or their ad tech was a version of trying to copy what Facebook was doing with far less data and integration of much beyond what people are actually doing inside of the platform. And so for that, Facebook is more or less, I think, the ultimate 
competitor in the space when it comes to, I've got something that works. I don't want to pour fuel on the fire. It's like going on Shark Tank. You know, you get the big money. You can just amplify your business. Nothing can do that better than Facebook. And I'm not saying it's the only way of getting things done. There are definitely people that are great at affiliate or influencer or a million other types of marketing. But for a scientific mind that's maybe less creative than I'd like to be and can be a bit polarizing at times, Facebook allows me to be remove the human emotion and human error and more or less rinse and repeat a process to bring brands to, you know, million dollars a month inside of their ad spend and generate projectable cash flow and plan exit strategies. I've been doing it for years. I was recently, I'm preparing for my keynote at Social Media Marketing World coming up in San Diego. And I was looking at some of the data that Mark Zuckerberg was talking about and to a billion was the number. And I don't remember if that's daily active on Facebook or monthly active on Facebook, but no matter how you slice it, this has got to be the largest addressable audience in the world. You're not going to find a larger audience that you can address. Would you agree? I would 100% agree. I do think that if you look at volume of active usage, you will find that actually YouTube probably beats Facebook. However, YouTube is ultimately built on the back of Google's ad engine or their, their tech. And it is an intent monetization device. It's a supply and demand economy. Facebook is a game theory economy where it is, there is no place where you have the meritocracy, thumb on the scale like you do in Facebook. And not only does it have 2 billion users, it also has over a decade of location, tax information, buying behavior, language, conversation, and interaction data to build profiles on how people behave and what motivates them. Even if, let's say, there's a brand new social media platform and it's 10 times smarter than Facebook, it'll be 10 times smarter on a fraction of the data. If you have a fraction of the data and a smaller user base, great, but I can't scale that. That's why I love Facebook. Very cool. All right. Well, let's talk about your strategy at a high level, specifically your strategy for using Facebook ads to really scale. Let's start with just the high level of what is the strategy, and then we'll break down kind of the elements of it and we'll dig in deep as we go. Sure. So the one thing that I've been talking about for years and that I've been really leveraging since about 2018, when I was doing the alpha and beta testing for advanced matching, ultimately what became the power five, CBO, all that fun stuff is a one campaign ad account strategy. The one campaign ad account strategy. Okay, keep going. Yeah, the one campaign ad account strategy. And we can get into the elements of it, but ultimately what this means is you can spend a million dollars a month inside of a single ad campaign, a single Facebook campaign. And the at a very high level, the more simple a machine is, the easier it is to continue going. And in a machine learning environment, the better it's going to get. And that's really the basis around all of this, where we are not going to be smarter than the machine and we don't need to do the work. I like to use the analogy, a 16-year-old kid can run a million dollar a year McDonald's location. All you need to do is be the manager. It's called the ads manager for a reason. Those are your employees. You just need to make sure that they're in line and give them what they need to continue to improve. And that's more or less the ethos behind the one campaign ad account strategy. And 
between my brands, my clients, and my students, there's been hundreds of millions made using this in ways that have dramatically cut workload and dramatically improved financial projection capabilities for brands around the world. So that's what I'm all about. Okay. And I know there are Facebook ads, people listening, and you've really piqued their curiosity. Wait, one campaign ad account strategy? Yeah. So let's break it down. Let's start with the very first thing. What's the first thing we need to understand with this strategy? Love it. So the first thing we need to understand with this strategy is that we are using broad targeting. Um, We're not using lookalikes. We're not using interest groups. The idea of using detailed targeting on Facebook is the idea of leveraging obsolete technology. It's like, I'm going to send a message using a telegram. You can get it there, but there's a better way. And and I I do mean telegram in that it's two generations of technology old. Now to start off with interest groups and lookalikes. First, I don't think most people understand how interest groups work. And repeated collegiate studies going back, you know, seven, eight years. I mean, I remember when interest groups didn't exist. I remember when they came on. They were invented to mock what Google was doing with their own targeting parameters, but ultimately up to generally up to and well more than one third of the users inside of an interest group are there just by error. Wow. In addition to that, interest, being in an interest group does not imply intent to make a purchase. As a matter of fact, often more than half of an interest group is designated as having an interest in something because they feel negatively about something and have spoken about it. Wow. I I like to use the analogy, like if you go to a restaurant and it's all right, cool. If it's the worst service you've had, you tell everyone. If you tell everyone, the machine says you're interested because you are. It doesn't understand it's the wrong kind of interest is what you're saying. It's the wrong kind of interest. Absolutely. And then when we look to lookalike audiences, we have to remember that the data set that Facebook is using is flawed, and especially with implementations of privacy concerns, been inhibited. I think the most important thing we have to understand about broad targeting is that every piece of content you make actually makes its own audience. And we see this happen most aggressively with TikToks and with Reels and YouTube Shorts because, oh, by the way, every single one of those platforms is just ripping off what Facebook's been doing. But when you post something, as an example, if it gets shown to a thousand people, And 500 people like it and 500 people hate it. The next thousand people that are going to get shown that content, whether it's organic or paid, are going to look a lot like those that have shown interest in the content that you put out. And generally, the reasons they saw it in the first place is because they gave signals of intent and interest to the machine. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even seen your first impression. So... We have to understand that you extrapolate this out over dozens, hundreds, thousands of impressions. And effectively, every single piece of content, paid or organic, because they both work on the same engine in the back end of Facebook, ultimately curates its own audience. And so ads do the targeting and they determine their own CPMs. They, when we put them inside of, when we put multiple ads together, we can also see frequency, how Facebook is using them together. But if your CPMs are high, understand that ultimately that's a signal, even at broad, that your content is a liability to Facebook's business model. And basically the way they penalize you for being a liability is they charge you a premium on the cost of the inventory. 
if your ads are engaging and people like to see your content, your CPMs will go down. If it is a bother, if that billboard in the sky ruins somebody's sunset, it's going to cost you way more money to show that to somebody. And not only that, but the cheaper the CPM, the more engaging the content, generally speaking, the higher up in the feed and the more likely somebody is to see it earlier in their use. The ad that's shown is the third piece of content in your Instagram feed is almost always far cheaper an impression than the one that shows up 15 minutes into a doom scroll. So there's a qualitative and quantitative metric to the meritocracy. So when we do broad targeting, ultimately what this means is we are no longer paying extra because remember interest groups and lookalikes and behaviors cost a premium. We're no longer paying extra to inhibit the ads from being shown to the people that most want to see them. And that is a fundamental shift, I think, in thinking for most people that have been taught how to do targeting on Facebook by other experts that may have come into social media when it was really easy or are trained initially in search and display and programmatic and email where they think about it as an audience first mentality, or maybe they were trained that way. But this is, I think, the biggest mistake in the core of how we run one Facebook ad account. We let the machine do its job and we hold ourselves accountable for the results that we get because ultimately we're only buying attention. We're not buying results. Question on the broad targeting concept. I'm not an ads guy, so I'm asking for everybody else who's not an ads person. Sure. What does broad targeting mean for someone who's not familiar with the ads interface? I love that question because I get this all the time. Broad targeting is a noun. It is not an adjective. I see people say all the time, well, my audience is really broad. I stacked a whole bunch of things. That's not broad. Broad by definition, when you speak to the engineers at Facebook that built the software, is up to three restrictions. It's age, gender, and location. So women 35 and up who live in the United States and Canada, that's broad. Oh, okay. If you stack 20 interest groups and five lookalikes, that's not broad by definition because it's, again, a noun, not an adjective. Got it. So you can say broad targeting can be quite narrow depending on your age range sure. and your location. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. When I was running ads for Pizza Hut and Starbucks, my broad audience may have been like less than a mile. You know, like when I was trying to build the lunch rush for Pizza Hut or when we were doing tests about seeing... Can we hit morning commuters with Starbucks ads before they leave their house and then track if their phone's Bluetooth device also connects to a point of sale device? That audience might have been 10, 15,000 people. But by definition, because again, broad is a noun, not an adjective, it fit the format of what we call broad targeting. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. 
there's some people whose heads are exploding. They're like, well, I sell B2B this, right? How is broad targeting going to work for me? Or I am this, you know what I mean? Like, what do you want to say to those people who just can't wrap their head around just age, location, and gender? I love it. And there's two things that I'll say. One, Facebook is software, just like Canva, just like Microsoft Excel, just like Grand Theft Auto. It doesn't care who you are. It works the same for every single person. Your business model, your intentions, your you know, niche doesn't matter. Facebook doesn't care. It's meritocracy-based, optimized CPM, attention-based economy that works on game theory and signals. Signal theory, for you economists out there, it's a signal theory and game theory marketplace. That's how Facebook works. The second thing they'll have to say is, remember that your ads are ultimately creating their own audience. So if the attention you're buying isn't getting you the results that you want, well, then you have two issues. Either A, your ads are not appealing to those people that you want to speak to. You're not getting the right kind of attention like a child that cries because it wants food when really could she just learn to ask or your after the click experience isn't good. You might have the best ads in the world and the best targeting in the world and all of these other things. But when somebody clicks on your landing page, it's a bad experience. And inside of Facebook, they're tracking what happens. And if your post click experience is no good, well, Facebook's not going to show your ads to the right people because there's somebody else, one of your competitors that has a probably a objectively far worse ad, but a much better post-click and user experience. They're going to get all the top impressions. As a, for instance, to explain this, when I was running New Balance, their ads, not the business. I wasn't former CEO of New Balance for what it's worth. Yeah. When we were doing the advanced matching tests to build Power 5 back in 2017, 2018, I was senior ad ops at a place called Hyphen. We did studies with Facebook engineering and measurement team and found that even at broad, what we would consider to be cold prospecting, when our ads were more engaging and we had lower CPMs than our competitors, our first touch with a customer, over two-thirds of them were people that had been on a product page or abandoned cart with another sneaker company buying a competitive product. We were winning that business because we were better partners. We treated our vendor with respect. And ultimately, we won the game, which is well, the way I look at all this stuff. We won the game by being a better business partner. With Facebook in particular? With Facebook in general, yeah. Yeah. And I see a lot of folks that say, well, Facebook's not my business partner. They don't treat me with respect. They charge me all of these things. And my question is, how many other vendors do you have where your way of dealing in business with them is to disrespect everything that they ask for and then blame them when they don't treat you well. That doesn't work literally anywhere in the world. Why would it work on Facebook? It doesn't. So my advice is make content that your target market wants to see. And if you're getting that content, improve the after-the-click experience. Yeah, this is a great transition to the second part of your process, right? Which we talked about first, broad targeting. We spent some time on this because I know some people needed to wrap their head around this, right? Mm -hmm. Age, gender, location, right? So the second part of your step is obviously this creative stuff. So let's zoom in on what do we need to, because obviously broad targeting with horrible ads isn't going to work, right? So what do we need to be thinking about with the second step? So the second step is something we call the 322 method with dynamic creatives. First off, dynamic creatives is an option that happens at the ad set level 
with a campaign. And it allows you to put in multiple creatives, multiple copies, multiple sets of headlines and CTAs and descriptions and all of these other things. And what it does is it allows Facebook to assemble all of the data, to collate all of the data of every impression to ultimately pick and choose the formatting and the structure and the layout to make the best experience for their users. Now, I will also say this. There is not a single account where I don't do every penny of creative testing with Dynamic Creative. I never test ads by building them out one by one. Is this where your method comes in? That's where the method comes in because I see so many people guessing what people want, especially creative directors that think they're very smart. And hey, look, a lot of them are, but they're not using the tool. So with the 322 method, the 322 is three creatives, two primary text, two headlines. We don't test CTAs. We never use descriptions or anything else. And what this means is that dynamic creative ultimately has 12 permutations. It also means that when we want to go and analyze the results of that test, we can go down to delivery and break down by dynamic creative element. We can understand with an extremely high level of confidence and binary decision-making. First, did this test ultimately deliver an outcome that I'm happy with? The answer is yes, great. What had the highest contribution to that result? What primary text, what headline, what copy, what image, what creative? Now, are we getting ahead a little bit on the scientific side of it? No, I think I think this is just like why the dynamic. I see. One of the biggest issues that I see with dynamic creative is people say, well, I don't know what worked. And so when we're looking at dynamic creative, we can ultimately see where the spend goes. And we can also hit preview Facebook posts with comments to have Facebook show us what post IDs got the most engagements and they ultimately sort it by what Facebook determines estimated action rate, which is why we're using dynamic creative more than anything else. Fascinating. Because we want to optimize towards that metric. So three creatives, when you say creatives, I'm assuming you mean like visual or video, right? And primary text is the text above the creative. Is that correct? Yep. And then the headline is what's below the creative. Is that correct? Correct. So if we've only got three, two, and two here, how do we pick the best ones so that we, I mean, off the gate, right? I know eventually we're going to use a method to, to test and stuff, but out of the gate, do you have any suggestions on how to create good creatives, primary text, and headlines for the beginning of the process? Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, learning where to start is great. First thing that I do is I ultimately want to understand that I want to do my testing by concept. So I try to think of maybe customer avatars or what marketing angle or pitch am I ultimately trying to test to see if what is the best version of it that I can deliver. Now, if I've never run ads before, I probably, hopefully, still have a plethora of data that I can use. What are the headlines that I'm using in my emails? What are the words that I'm using on product pages and landing pages? What are the images and videos I'm using on social media or on my web page or when I'm talking to folks? That's generally a great place to start. If you've had an Instagram account for a year but never run ads, what's your best engaging content? That's a great place to start because the organic side and the paid side of Facebook runs on the same machine. Anything that works organically is going to have a leg up when you run it as paid media. It earned reach and engagement. When you run it as paid ads, it's going to earn attention. 
better more than likely than something that you're just taking a shot in the dark at. So it's generally the first place I go to is what is my asset pool that I already have? And based on open rates of emails and engagement rates on social media and CRO efforts I've taken on my landing page. Or, or even views on YouTube videos, I would imagine, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Views on YouTube videos, what went viral on TikTok, et cetera. Any of this information, like if you had a YouTube video that, you know, blew up, what was the title? What was the description? What was the content? What was the thumbnail, right? What was the thumbnail? Yeah. These were all tremendously valuable pieces of information. And if you just start with that, and you've seen any success anywhere in your business, odds are you're going to have a winning ad in, in, in no time flat. Like, and then you can begin to build on that. But that's generally where I go. Organic social, CRO, email marketing. These are tremendous ways of ultimately conducting market research to see what would work when you pay money for somebody to pay attention. Because at the end of the day, an ad is just a Facebook post that you're paying money for people to see. So if you already know people want to see it because it was a good YouTube video, like you said, or it was an email that had a great open rate and engagement or some click-through rate on your website, start there. That's the lowest hanging fruit you can possibly have. You've already validated those elements. And that's generally where I start. There's some people listening right now that are thinking, but what about the call to action? Charlie. Sure. Because my organic stuff might not have a CTA, right? Maybe it's just brand awareness or whatever. Like how do I, if I just got three creatives, two primary texts, two headlines, what about the the CTA? What, what do you want to say about that? I think that's a great point. What I will say is the actual call to action button on Facebook, I've done probably a hundred million dollars in testing to see over the years of whether that moves the needle. And the honest truth is keep it simple. Are you trying to get somebody to educate? You learn more. Are you trying to sell something? You shop now, et cetera. Moving that doesn't do it. Calls to action in your copy. This is where we'll look to, you know, what drove engagement on social? What drove clicks through email? What improved conversion rates on my website? And, and I will just incorporate those. And I do want to also say this. Sometimes the number one primary text you can use is none at all. Sometimes you don't need those things. Because remember, when somebody sees a Facebook ad, we know that it's an ad. We're already aware that we want to click. One of my heroes in advertising, Ogilvy, said, say as much as you can and as little as possible. If your ad stopped the scroll, remember the average person swipes the height of the Eiffel Tower on a daily basis. If you were able to, you know, technical term is thumb stopping, you might have already gotten enough interest for them to look more. If you get the sale and then keep selling, they might walk away. If you have primary text above your image or video, that might be enough information to say, actually, I don't want to look. When really, as soon as it went to your landing page, you might have had the sale. So I just want to say that sometimes the best call to action is not using one at all because the ad itself, consumer behavior, we already know that this is something we can click on. Creative image versus video. What's your thoughts on this? Because I've seen some ads that look like they're personal posts because they have images on them. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Vertical images, square images, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? Just based on what maybe your most recent, you know, obviously the answer is test it, but you know, what's your, what's your thoughts? Should we test three videos or we should one video and two images or what's your thoughts on this? Generally speaking, I like to keep within the 322 all my creatives of the same format. I see. Okay. And what I mean by that is not just 
image or video, but also the same size. Okay. When we're running stuff in the broad targeting, it's not just broad targeting, but we're also doing automatic placement. So we're not optimizing towards reels or stories or Instagram or Facebook. If you want your ad to be shown in a place, make content where that is the place that it is best displayed. And you will see the vast majority of your spend getting delivered there. If Facebook also deems that your objective is what they're seeing. That being said, I am a big proponent of do what is best for your business. I know plenty of people that will swear UGC is all you need. Great. I know a hundred million dollar leather company that hasn't won a single video in five years. People might say, you know, whatever the trope is for your business, I'm not interested in being hopefully as good as the bottom feeders of the top top 80%. What works best for brands is by leveraging what they do well. And your brand identity and the way that you communicate with your customers, I would much rather have an image that feels and looks and is done well exactly like my brand than do a video that isn't good. Vice versa, I'd rather have a great video that explains everything than a really poorly produced image. So I think the number one thing is stay true to what you're good at and lean on that. Leverage your assets and your skill sets. There is no such thing as a best format. There is no such thing as a best type of content. But the best way to lose is by playing a game where your competitors are better than you. Let's talk about the third step in the process, which you've kind of alluded to a little bit, which is obviously, I'm not going to say it, you say it. What is your third step? (laughs) So the third step here is really we're just leveraging the scientific method and it's the architecture of this one campaign ad account. Now, I've got a sticky note here, if you don't mind me showing it to you. Can we do that? Sure. Here we go. So this is the sticky note. You'll have to describe it for the audio listeners. Absolutely. So this is the exact account structure that I use to build $1 million a month ad accounts, and I've been doing it for years. We have one ad set that is comprised of our winners. These are our best post IDs. These are the control elements in our scientific method. In addition to that, we have, in this example, two dynamic creative tests following the 322 method. And the purpose of these in this campaign is to ultimately improve upon the existing winning ads or provide an alternative. So I can either take an existing ad and try to make it better, or I can try to make an ad that appeals to a different audience. One of those will scale my efficiency You get 10% more sales by just reducing your costs by 10% and spending the same amount of money or improving my reach and my potential for higher volume of spend by appealing to a different audience. What's most important here is that this is all done in a CBO where Facebook is able to determine where all the spend goes. And if those dynamic creative tests don't get spend, and I see people say all the time, well, my tests don't get spend. Here's why. It's not good. By the way, we'd love to see your face for those that are watching. So if you want, you can take the sticky note down. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted it up there. So everybody yeah, it was good. It. Okay. So, yeah. so, so simplify it again. Say it in a more simple way. Like for people, just especially those that are listening to wrap their head around this. We've got the. Gotcha. Yeah. Just simplify that. So the scientific method ultimately says we have a control and a variable. Okay. In this environment, our control is proven winning ads in a single ad set. Our variable is a 322 dynamic creative put up against it in a CBO environment where spend is earned. If that spend is earned and the output, the efficiency, the business results of that spend is desirable, we've got a winner. If it earns a bunch of spend and results are terrible, 
Well, we've, we've learned one way or another that we've earned a lot of attention, but it's not the right attention. I want to back up the train real quick on the winners. So we're doing the three, two, two method. At some point, we're going to locate a winning ad and then we're going to put it into a different pool. Is that kind of what you're saying here? Yeah. Or we're just going to shut off all the losers or what do you mean by that? The life goal of a three, two, two ad, the purpose of its existence is ultimately to produce a post ID that we can use as a control element. I see. Every variable ultimately is there to either improve upon a control or be a loser. Right, we're just trying to establish new benchmarks. So when we run a three-two-two, we can go and preview the Facebook post with comments. We can see does the ads that show up also index well against what got a lot of spend? Am I happy with the net output? If so, I can click the timestamp on that preview, grab the post ID, drop it in my control ad set, and move on to the next test. If for whatever reason I'm not happy, or the data doesn't line up, or the posts that are in the preview don't match where the spend goes, then we're not at a place yet where we can have high confidence in the output. And it's all about binary decision-making with the highest amount of confidence that we can have. Remove human error and emotion from the situation because ultimately you've got the world's greatest intent creation device doing market research across the smartest machine ever to do it. You should probably listen to what it's telling you. Okay, so this is important to dig in just for a minute here. So we start with these three creatives, two primary texts and two headlines. We broad target them. Eventually, after analyzing them, we're going to determine that one of them seems to be outperforming all the rest of them, right? Yeah, one post ID from that dynamic creative test. Yeah. And maybe we'll run another broad targeting to the exact same group or a different group, and then we'll get a winner. And then that'll be a control. Like, help me understand that part of it. Yeah. So generally speaking, I don't like to test more than two, maybe three things at once in my dynamic creatives. I Part of a test is to reduce the number of variables. Got it. If I have five tests going on in a CBO environment, I'm sacrificing confidence for volume. And I'm also forcing myself to have lower confidence and have a longer timeline to getting to an answer. Because I have to split my assets up amongst greater amount of investments. And where spend is delivered isn't because it was better than a control and better than the other test. It was that plus times five or times 10. If you're running 10, 20, 30 different creative tests, you have no idea why things are working. You're introducing so much volatility to the data. So ultimately, when I get a winner, throw it into my control element and I start another test. I want to always be testing. I want to always be strategically either trying to scale my efficiency or scale my volume depending on what my business objective happens to be. Sometimes you don't want to spend more. Sometimes you want to you know, get more profit for the money that you do spend. Sometimes it's vice versa. Solve that business problem with your creative testing. Because ultimately, your creatives determine your CPA, and your CPA should match your business objectives. We're not looking at silly things like ROAS or any of that stuff. We're, we're trying to acquire profitable customer journeys at a cost that is desirable. So what I think is fascinating about your model as I piece it together is that we're doing broad targeting combined with this testing, this 322 model with the objective of finding which variation Facebook seems to declare as the winner. So Facebook's doing all the hard work for us, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're figuring out the best combination of the creative, the text and the headline that gets the ad objectives that you're aiming for, right? One caveat to that, it is getting what it feels is best for its business model. Which should be best for our businesses, right? Yes, but it's not always going to happen. Sometimes you have extremely engaging content that drives no sales. I see. So you might effectively create clickbait 
that can happen. So sometimes you have a winner in a test because it gets all the spend, but the performance is terrible. Okay, good lesson learned. There's something about that that people enjoy, but it's not ultimately putting money in the bank. So we have to remember that Facebook is optimizing towards its business objectives. And then we have to align ourselves with, or we have to evaluate, does what meets their business objective also meet ours? And if so, great. And if not, we learn a lesson and we apply that to the next test. Charlie, this has been absolutely fascinating. I know there's so much more we could go in on, but I want to tell people, hey, Charlie's got some great stuff. Why don't you tell everybody where they can discover you on what's your preferred social platform? And for the audio listeners, say what your idea is again, and then also where you want to send them if they want to discover more about the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Well, first off, thank you so much. I, I enjoy talking about this stuff all the time. And yeah, we could go on for hours and hours on this stuff and clearly don't have that kind of time right now. But you can find me on social media. It's at CT the Disruptor. You can find me at my website, which is disruptorschool.com. From there, you can learn more about the Facebook Ads MBA program. You can enroll in Disruptor School. You can do all sorts of other things and find out about myself as an educator and some of my other teachers. And if you type that handle into any social media platform, I'm going to be there. I will tell you that much to the chagrin of my wife, I don't think I have a preferred one. I'm on literally all of them all of the time. Okay. So... Wherever you want to reach me is where I will be at. And I don't want you to feel like, well, I don't have a Twitter account. I can't talk to them or I don't have an Instagram or I'm not on TikTok or I'm not anywhere. If you are there, my objective is to be there too. So I am posting content basically every single day to teach people how to build million dollar a month ad accounts and how to scale their businesses and create jobs and see more success and, and happiness and ultimately kind of demystify this crazy thing that. There's a lot of competing you know, information on based on my decade in the business and over a billion in revenue driven. So it's at CT The Disruptor. You can find me literally anywhere and let me know that you saw me on this show and any question that you have. And I'll do, or you heard me on the podcast, I'll do the best that I can to answer your question, hopefully as brief as possible, or point you in the right direction of a very long-winded answer that's probably going to be on one of my YouTube channels. Charlie Titchener, thank you so much for eloquently educating us today. We are better because of it. Oh, thank you, Michael. I, I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of Social Media Examiner. I, I've been, you know, getting the emails for a long, long time. Before I ran ads, it was a great guide to help me figure out how to do organic. And it has been wonderful to maybe become a small little part of the family here. And I, I really do appreciate it. I think it's an honor to be to be featured. And if this can help one person be more successful or have the confidence to chase their dreams and create jobs and independence and provide for their family, then we've done our job here today. I can put, go to bed happy and I'm pretty confident we got at least two. So this is great. I feel good. And I hope that, that we've taught somebody something that is going to fundamentally change the direction of their future. And man, that's what this is all about, right? Otherwise we could just be, you know, over in our own little rooms doing whatever we want. But I, I love Social Media Examiner for offering so much help. And if I can be a small little piece in that puzzle, you put a smile on my face, Michael. So thank you so much for this. I, I really, really do appreciate it. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 549. We've been doing this for 549 weeks in a row. That's a lot. Hey, if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, 
Michael Stelzner, I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.